Father, we thank you so much for your blessing and for your love and your mercy and, Lord, for your provision. You're an amazing God, and uh, we're so thankful for how you love us and how you work in the midst of our lives, Father, Lord. We thank you for the worship and for the time that we've had to come before you and to lift our hands to you and acknowledge that you are God and you are worthy of our praise, Lord. And, Father, I pray this morning that we all would understand that we're here, Lord, to to draw close to you and, and, and to not only be hearers of your word, but also, Lord, to apply it to our lives, to be doers of your word. And Father, I, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. I pray this in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24, we're now in part 25 of our series, Wisdom That Works, say Wisdom That Works. And you guys know this, even before we dive into the text, I, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. It was all of chapter 23, and I gave you eight points. I want to briefly go through this. And point number one, you might remember this was, do not be deceived. Everyone say that. Do not be deceived. That's in verses one through eight. And Solomon saying, do not be or don't be overwhelmed, seduced, deceived by, by the atmosphere of power and luxury. And then he gives a warning against the deceitfulness of riches. And then he talks about the stingy person. The stingy person is, is setting you up for something. Uh, their heart, their thoughts, their intentions is not with you. The second point was do not waste your words. Say that. Do not waste your words. That's in verse 9. And Solomon's saying, do not waste your time explaining things to the fool because the fool has no interest in what you have to say. The third point was do not steal. Say that. Steal, verses 10 through 11. And we are never to cheat or compromise in any business dealings in a sneaky or subtle way which would defraud another person of their property. The fourth point was do not, do not neglect wisdom. Say that. That's in verse 12, and that the reception of wisdom, I love this, the reception of wisdom isn't passive, it's active. It's, it's reached with a heart that truly applies wisdom and instruction. The fifth point was do not withhold correction, say that. Do not withhold correction, verses 13 through 16. Um, appropriate loving discipline, what it does, it trains a child to avoid evil and sparing them from greater suffering later in life. The sixth point was do not envy the ungodly. Say that. Do not envy the ungodly, verses 17 through 18. And Solomon saying, instead of being envious of the ungodly, be zealous for the fear of God. Amen? Have an eternal perspective and active recognition, he's saying, rooted in God's greatness, God's majesty, God's sovereignty. Solomon's saying, focus on that. Focus on that, that life is... This, this life is not all that there is, that we have an enduring hope, a future, right? Is, our future is bright. We have an inheritance in heaven that is secure, kept by God's power, and that's the hope of eternal life. Yeah? Seventh point was do not walk on the wrong path. Say that. Do not walk on the wrong path, verses 19 through 28. And we know that life's choices, life's choices are often described as walking a path. And we see that through the entire book of Proverbs that we're walking on a path and that those who follow God's will can avoid pitfalls, avoid danger, and also avoid becoming lost. The eighth and final point of last week's text was do not get drunk. Say that. Do not get drunk, verses 29 through 35. And these verses, remember this? These verses are the Bible's most vivid description of the consequences of alcohol abuse. 
This now brings us to today's text. The title of today's message is Wisdom and Strength. Say that with great enthusiasm. Wisdom and Strength. Awesome. Five points. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is this, wisdom and strategy. Say that. Wisdom and strategy. Write that down. Point number one, and then we're going to look at verses one and two right now. And Solomon writes, do not envy wicked men. Do not desire their company. Did you get that? I'm going to read that again. Do not envy wicked men. Do not desire their company. Verse two, for their hearts plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. So this is a reoccurring theme that we see in the book of Proverbs, which warns against associating with uh, immoral, wicked people, uh, close friendships or other relationships with them uh, brings risk and temptation. And you see, there are times when we can get, let's be honest, there are times we can get jealous of evil people because we see their prosperity, we see their popularity and influence, and this may entice us to imitate them. And it may tempt us to want to spend time with them, to gain from them. Well, Solomon says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do this. Because you may learn their ways and enter into sin. And there's this potential to be influenced by them. And so we need to be very careful. If you're safe, say amen. We need to be very, very careful because we become like those who we are with the most. Right? Remember what Solomon said back in chapter 22. Write it down, verses 24 and 25. Chapter 22, 24, verses 24 and 25. He says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. There it is. Well, let's go back to the text again, because I want to point something out to you. Solomon says, do not envy wicked men. Do not desire their company. So again, we are told not to be around immoral, wicked people, right? Right? Yet, wasn't Jesus a friend of sinners? Yes. But, but, Jesus, but Jesus didn't condone sin or participate in the destructive behaviors of the ungodly. You see, being a friend of sinners, Jesus showed that God's kindness is intended to lead them to repentance. You got it? Jesus spent time with sinners. We know that. We read the word, right? Not to join their sinful ways, but to present them to what? To the good news, right? That forgiveness was available, and and many were transformed as we read God's word, right? Jesus transformed many lives with his words and the way he lived. And you see, when Jesus was around immoral, when he was around wicked individuals, it it was to change them and not be changed by them. In other words, Jesus Christ himself, he set the agenda. You got that? He set the agenda. And friends, when you and I, when we are amongst non-believers, we are either a thermometer or a thermostat. And if you're around non-believers, okay, you're either going to be a thermometer, which means they go up, you go up with them. They go down, you go down with them. Or you'll be a thermostat, which means you set the temperature. You set the agenda. You share the gospel. You be Christ-like. Got it? That's the difference. We don't shun the sinners, but we set the agenda so that we don't become like them in, in terms of sinning. Amen? And that's what, exactly what Jesus Christ did. Verses 3 and 4, by wisdom a house is built, 
and through understanding it is established. I love this, love these verses. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. So this proverb here, it implies well beyond literal buildings. Uh, the house in the text is a metaphor for a family. And it's, it's listen now, it's, it's likening the house that is built to a life that is lived. It's, it's speaking about the beauty of good, good family relationships. About the blessing of, of building a home with God's wisdom and God's understanding, and God's knowledge, which brings spiritual precious and pleasant riches. So, so you have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, right? In other words, building, establishing, and filling. Wisdom, right? Wisdom, a house is built. Understanding, it's established. And knowledge, it's filled. Got it? Building, establishing, and filling. Now, if you're safe, say Amen. God's blessing, get this now, God's blessing is on the home that seeks, seeks, listen now, seeks, honors, and walks by his word and walks, listen now, in his wisdom and walks in his ways. And what that does, friends, it brings security and stability. It brings a solid foundation to the home, to the family. And what comes to mind is Matthew 7 24 and 25, you might know this about the wise man who built his house on solid foundation. He heard God's word, and not just, he not only heard God's word, but he what? He put it into practice. Got it? Solid foundation. Verses 5 and 6, if you're still with me, say amen. A wise man has great power, and a man of knowledge increases strength. For waging war, you need guidance, and for victory, many advisors. This is another reoccurring theme in the book of Proverbs. And these, these verses argue that wisdom is mightier than physical strength. That, that, that if you had to choose between brains and brawn, choose brains. Got that? Choose brains. Because wisdom imparts a strength that is greater than simply physical might. And you see, you can count the number of soldiers in the army. You can do that, friends, and they may be strong and brave, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll win the battle with that. Are you guys with me? So the army needs a wise commander, and the wise commander needs good advice because victory in the battle is more than simple human strength. Wise, wise counsel must be received. Listen, strategy is more effective, a more effective weapon than force of numbers and strength. That's what Solomon's saying. And, and the history of Israel, the history of Israelite victories in the Old Testament confirms that, right? But we see the Israelites low in number, but great in what? Right? Wisdom, and they win these battles. So this, this is it. When, when you're making a major decision, I say a major decision. You, you need wise advisors, friends. As you make your plans, as you're, as you're making these decisions, you need to seek the wisdom and the input of others. others. And the danger is this. The danger is this, that when you are making your plans, the danger is that you're so emotionally invested in it that you can't objectively see it from a different perspective. So as you make your plans, as you're making some major decisions, ask for advice, because they might see it in a different perspective than you can. Amen? Verses 7 and 9. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the assembly at the gate, he has nothing to say. You get that? 
Well, fools, fools are, fools are unteachable, right? We, we've learned this. They're arrogant. Uh, they're know-it-alls, right? They're know-it-alls. They refuse to humble themselves. They refuse and, and admit that God exists. They ignore godly wisdom. They don't know how to speak acceptably and profitably. Therefore, nobody wants to hear their foolish words because they're fools. Now, the traditional meeting place for counsel and judgment in business and legal matters were often conducted at the city gate by leaders, elders, and judges. And the point is, the fool has nothing to contribute to the discussion. And at best, the fool remember, excuse me, remains, the fool remains silent. At worst, if the fool might speak, the fool fully reveals their own condition. That's foolishness. They're foolish. Verse 8, he who plots evil will be known as a schemer. That word schemer in the Hebrew is master of mischief or divisor of wickedness. And they actively plan, but only for evil. Then he says this, this verse 9, the schemes of folly are sin, and men, men excuse me, detest a mocker, an abomination. See, the schemer rebels against truth. They, they rebel against truth. They disregard moral uprightness. They sneer at wisdom. Now, I want to say this. This is not only a reference to sin, but also about reputation. Notice, friends, they, they become known as, as wicked and crooked and troublemakers. Say wisdom and strategy. Number two, strength of character. Say that, strength of character. And we're going to look at verse 10 here, verse 10. Solomon says, if you falter, in other words, faint in times of trouble, how small is your strength? I want you to get this. Troubles, adversity, please get this. Troubles, adversity, and adversity are not simply to make us, although they do that, or simply to break us, although they do that, but to take us to the mirror to see, friends, that we, to see what we're really made of and to see how we're doing in life. Without adversity, Without these troubles in our lives, how, how would we show our faith? How would we show our strength? I mean, we could talk about it, right? It's really good just to talk about it, but talk is cheap, right? We could believe we're, we're strong, and, and, and we could tell God that we would, we would never deny God. We could say that, but until the trial has passed, our words are in vain. We really don't know how we're, we're doing or what we're made of until, friends, we're in the midst of a trial. Isn't that true? Until we're going through it, going through it. If you're safe, say amen. Times of adversity, times of trouble show us who we really are, what kind of character you and I have developed in our lives, friends. Strength of character is only seen when it's truly tested. And gosh, don't we get tested? Huh? And get the strength of character is not built by prosperity. You don't build strength of character through prosperity because sometimes you lose your sense of need for God when you're doing well. But rather, by adversity, that's when we, we know we need God's help. Right? Because his purpose is our perfection, our maturity. So, so I'm going to tell you this. Appreciate difficult times when they come. God wants to do something in your life. You don't have to thank him for it, but in it, he wants to, to mature us and grow us, right? He wants to refine our lives. 
So, so let's not grumble about these times when they hit our lives. Let's say, God, I don't understand it, but I know you're doing something in the midst of it. So, Lord, I welcome it, and I know you're going to get me through it. Amen? So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. And it breaks my heart when I, I know so many believers that when they hit hard times, they just throw in the towel and they quit. Well, God must not love me. No, no, he loves you. He wants to mature you and grow. He wants you to be dependent upon him. God wants us to learn to stand in the day of adversity, to fight through it. He, he wants us to learn to not quit, to stand when the going gets tough. Stand, because he's standing with you. Amen? Say wisdom and strategy. Say strength of character. Number three is opportunity and obligation. Say that. Opportunity and obligation. And we're going to look at verses 11 through 12. I'm doing my best to try to make this as simple as possible as I bring these outlines to you. Opportunity and obligation, verses 11 through 12. Psalmist says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. Verse 12, if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he, that's God, who weighs the heart, perceive it? Does he, God, who guards your life, know it? Will he, speaking of God, not repay each person according to what he or she has done? Now listen, friends, these are not convicted guilty criminals being executed in, lawful, in a lawful setting. These are, what Tom's talking about, these are innocent, the innocent being persecuted and murdered. You say, say amen. When you and I see cruelty, when you and I see injustice, we are obligated to act in some way. We could do something or, or should have done something and didn't do it. The word says that God will hold you and I accountable. We can't just walk on by. We can't, you know, pretend we didn't see it because God sees the heart. Doesn't he? And he only judges on one basis, on the basis of what we actually did or didn't do. We cannot use excuse or ignorance to avoid the responsibility to help another in need. And what comes to mind is Esther. We went through that book a while back, right? Esther, and Esther is one amazing example of someone, friends, who did deliver those who were drawn towards death. And her courage saved her people, even when it would have been easy for her to just ignore her duty and walk away. But no, she did what was right. That being said, what about the unborn babies? What about that? What about them? Huh? Who's going to speak out for them? They, 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 can't, they can't speak. The voices need a voice. And we as believers need to stand up for life. Amen? Not only that, but this proverb can also apply to having a heart for the lost. And we can, can deliver people drawn to death through what? Through prayer and through sharing the gospel. And this proverb should motivate us to share the gospel with others. Listen, friends, there are moments that God brings people into your life where you know you, 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 know you need to share the gospel. And, and, and if you don't do it and you walk away, God's going to hold you, myself, accountable for not sharing the gospel. And this is what this whole passage here, these verses, are talking about. There's opportunity and we also have an obligation to do something. Amen? Verses 13 and 14. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Verse 14. 
Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. I love this. If you find it. So he says if you find it, what that implies, it implies that you need to seek it and you need to keep it. Got it? There is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. In other words, you will not be disappointed. Can someone say amen to that? So the gaining of wisdom, listen now, wisdom rewards a life the way the sweetness of taste is the reward of honey. As honey sustains, what he's saying, and satisfies the body, wisdom sustains and satisfies the soul. That's what he's saying. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Crave God's word. Crave God's word. Say that. Come on. Crave God's word. So the question is this, right? How do you satisfy and how do you sustain the soul? By reading and studying the word of God. That's how. That's how. The more we crave God's word, the more of an appetite that you and I, that we are going to have for his word. In other words, the more we read God's word, the more we read God's word. Got it? Got it? You see, when we feed an appetite, it, what it does, it just creates a more, more of an appetite for that which we are feeding. Right? You crave God's word, guess what? You crave God's word. In Psalm 34, verse 8a, write that down. Psalm 34, verse 8a. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You want to taste and see that God is good? Read his word. Spend time in his word, right? Flood your life. Flood your life. Drown yourself in the word of God. Crave his word. Can someone say amen? Verses 15 and 16. Do not lie in wait like an outlaw against a righteous man's house. Do not raid his dwelling place. For though a righteous man, woman, falls seven times, he or she rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. So this is a warning against aggression and plotting against the righteous. That though one may knock the righteous down seven times, the righteous cannot be knocked out. Come on, amen? Okay, the righteous will come back because why? God is on our side. Notice that the wicked have a different destiny than the righteous. The wicked shall fall and stay fallen, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. So this is a reference to those who are trying to knock us down, but also we can, this also can imply the fact that we as Christians, when we stumble and fall, and we do, get back up. Get back up. Don't stay down. Get back up. Amen? Verses 17 and 18. Do not gloat. Ooh, this is a heavy one. You guys ready for this one? Do not gloat when your enemy falls. Ooh, when he stumbles. Do not let your heart rejoice. Verse 18, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. You know what our initial response, our initial response when our enemies fall is, you know, what, celebrate. I'm glad that happened to them. You know, that's what they deserve. Solomon says don't do that. Don't do that. David, David, you know the story of David in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. You know that David, you know King Saul, he, he treated David like, like dirt, right? He wanted to kill David. And when Saul died in battle, David didn't rejoice. He didn't rejoice. And we can learn from David's heart. I want you to write this down, Matthew chapter 5. 
verses 43 through 48, because this, this, is, this is sobering. Matthew 5, 43 through 48, and this is Jesus talking. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, and those you might resemble God. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you not, even, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect. That's a, that's a crazy word there, but let me explain it. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word perfect in the Greek is teleos. It means mature, wholeness, or wholehearted. In other words, be wholehearted like God is. You guys got that? It's because God wants you and I to be compassionate people, to be just like him. In fact, I want to say this. God does not take delight in punishing the wicked. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11 says this. Ezekiel 33, 11, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. He doesn't want to do that, but he must punish sin, right? And friends, I want to tell you, get this now, to gloat over the misfortune of those who have wronged you, have wronged me, have wronged us, is to make ourselves the avenger and put ourselves in the place of God. If you're saved, say amen. If God sees our rejoicing over the fall of the wicked, God may turn away his wrath, listen now, from the wicked just to rebuke our proud, unloving hearts against the wicked. Oh, that's heavy. I also want to say this. This doesn't, and follow me here, this doesn't prohibit praising God for bringing judgment. We should praise God for bringing judgment, amen? Nor does it mean we shouldn't recognize when someone suffers well-deserved consequences. What, what's forbidden here, what's forbidden is a superior, sneering attitude which presumes they deserve to fall while we do not. You guys got that? Verses 19 and 20, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no, what? Future hope, and the lamp of the wicked will, what? Be snuffed out. It is foolish, Solomon's saying, and we talked a little bit about this last week, about envying, right, ungodly, the ungodly, but it's foolish to envy the wicked. Don't wish to be like them. Why? Why? Because they're doomed. They're doomed. They have no future hope. God will punish them for their evil behavior. That's what it says, right? For the evil man has what? No future hope, and the lamp of the wicked will what? Be snuffed out. Verses 21 and 22. Fear the Lord and the king, my son, and do not join with the rebellious. I want to stop there because this is a heavy portion of Scripture. Let's read it again. Fear the Lord. Say, fear the Lord. And who else? And the king, which would be in our term here, the president. Okay, my son, and do not join with the rebellious. Reverence for God and respect for governmental leaders go hand in hand. Now, if you're safe, say amen. We are told to fear God and to, right, fear the Lord and to fear the king slash the president, even if the president is not of our political preference. You guys with me? 
1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, you might know this, right, says that we are to pray for those in authority over us. Whether you like those in office or not, we are commanded by God to pray for them. Do I have witness? Amen? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, 1 Peter 2, 17 says we are to respect and honor the king slash president. Right? His position, not the personality. Got it? In fact, I want you to go home and read Romans chapter 13 because it talks about submitting to government authority. We are called to do that. If you're safe, say amen. So what the Bible says is that we as believers, we are not to be given to rebellion. And I want to tell you, friends, the Bible never, never calls for nor encourages a rebellion against those in authority. Read your Bible. The text says, and do not join with the rebellious. In other words, don't get involved with those who are calling for rebellion. Now, let me say this. If the government tells us to be immoral, if the government tells you and I to be sinful, we are morally obligated to disobey them. Got it? But we are called by God. If you read the New Testament, they never, never rebelled against authority. They never did. Are you guys with me? Verse 22, for those who will send sudden destruction on them, and who knows what calamities they bring. In other words, those who reject God's law, those who do not submit to authority, will suffer the natural consequences of those choices. That's what he's saying. Got it? Say opportunity and obligation. Say wisdom and strategy. Say strength of character. Say opportunity and obligation. Number Number four is partiality and preparation. Say that. Partiality and preparation. Now, now from here, from here to the end of the chapter is a, a set of additional sayings of the wise. You guys ready? Here we go. Verses 22 to 25. These also are sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. Verse 24. Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, peoples will curse him and nations denounce him. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty, and rich blessing will come upon them. So this specifically applies to judges, but it also can apply to us. In other words, what he's saying here is that evil should be addressed and evil should be rebuked. Right? There should be no favoritism. Fair and impartial judgment is required by God. Why? Because God himself is fair and impartial. So we as believers ought to be the same, right? Now, notice this, that the one who administers justice with fairness will enjoy the inner satisfaction of doing the right thing. Rich blessing will come upon them. Verse 26, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. I have no problem with that as long as it's my wife kissing me on the lips. I have no problem with that. Amen? Listen, so this, is, this, this figure of speech, what it is, it's grounded in the idea of a kiss being an expression, listen now, of friendship and affection. Say friendship. Say affection. In other words, this is what Solomon's saying. An honest answer is satisfying to the soul. An honest answer. Got it? Listen, true friendship. Notice I said true. True friendship is characterized by truth. In other words, if, if, listen, if you got true friends, they're going to tell you what's true. They're not going to beat around the bush and flatter you. They're going to tell you when they need to tell you something. They're going to tell you. 
And, and a true friend, as Ephesians 4.15 says, to speak the truth, but speak the truth in what? In love. Because that's what a true friend does. A true friend will speak to you what's necessary for you to hear. You may not like it, but it's necessary. And they'll speak to you about what's going on and to open your eyes, but they speak it in love. Amen? And you know what's sadly, sad? Sadly, we, we live in a, a cynical age, right, don't we? A cynical age when truth is in short supply, and the model seems to be tell the truth as long as it's convenient. How sad is that? I want you to write this down. Chapter 12, verse 19 of, of Proverbs. Chapter 12, verse 19. True, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. There you go. So if you don't have a true friend, find one because they're good for you. Amen? Verse 27, finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Kind of self-explanatory. In other words, before you build your house, make sure you make proper preparations to build it, right? And there should be proper planning in the proper order because without proper planning and without proper preparation, friends, a project is likely to fail. In fact, you might remember that Jesus pointed out the wisdom of carefully planning, right? That, that uh, pointed out the wisdom of carefully planning uh, that was necessary to build before, to build a tower before building it. And that's in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, where Jesus said to count the cost, right? Before you build a building, step back and count the cost, how much it's going to cost. But I also want to point out that this also is a reference to the time to get married. One should not marry first, then set one's affairs later. Set, set, set affairs in order later. In other words, you, set, you should set affairs first, then get married. Got it? That's another way that we can look at that verse. Verse 28. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause or use lips to deceive. So this is primarily speaking about uh, about speaking against others, about lying, about them, flattering or using exaggeration. Got it? Chapter 19, verse 5 of Proverbs. Write that down. Chapter 19, verse 5. A false witness. You might remember this. A false witness will not go unpunished. Got that? And he who speaks lies will not escape. There you go. Verse 29. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. This is, you know what this, what's the golden rule? We know the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto what? You, right? Well, this is the reverse of the golden rule. Let's read that again. And I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay that man back for what he did. And, and, and Solomon's saying don't do that. Because what the scripture's saying, what that's saying, that don't, don't get mad, what, what, what the world says is what? That saying, don't get mad, get what? Get even, Right? And that's the world's way. Revenge is the world's way, not God's way. So don't get even like this. So you guys ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. You guys ready? Do not return evil for evil. Don't do it. Do not return evil for evil. Romans 12, 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Hey, just because someone has spoken lies or evil against us, does not mean that we should speak evil and lies against them. I know, I know, I know it's, it's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easier said than done because that old flesh wants to rise up and say, oh, just, 
Oh, go, just say, oh, you home. I'm ready to say something. Right? Right? Isn't it true? Come on, we're in church, right? Right? Isn't it true? But we got to let God deal with it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Not vengeance is mine, saith Arnold. Or you. Right? And we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But you know what, friends? I know it's hard, either said than done, but let God deal with it. Because he could do a much better job, right, than you and I can. Say wisdom and, say, uh, here we go, yeah, say wisdom and strategy. Say strength of character. Say opportunity and obligation. Say partiality and preparation. And number five, here we go, the sluggards, sluggards, sluggards vineyard. Okay, the lazy man, lazy person, the sluggard's vineyard. Look at verses 30 through 34. We're almost wrapping this up here. Psalm says, I, I went past the field of the sluggard. He was just going, doing his own business, right? Psalm was just going, traveling past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment, the fool, the foolish one. So verse 31, thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. You know, I want to stop there, okay? So, so, so here you have white, right, overgrown with thorns, covered with what weeds, a house, right, a place, a vineyard, right, a broken down wall. So you're saying, what's the big deal, Pastor? What's the big deal? What's the big deal, huh? Uh, it's his property, isn't it? Well, it's evidence of a lazy, incompetent steward. Say steward. Again, this is not encouraging materialism, rather diligence and stewardship. Stewardship. Being a manager of what God has given us. You guys got it? Verse 32, I applied my heart. Now this is Solomon going, I, I saw what I saw. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. And this is one of the marks of a wise person. Okay, One of the marks of a wise person is they observe, they watch, and they learn. I'm not going to do that. They say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that way. That's one of the marks of a wise person. They see and they learn. And he, saw, he says, I saw, I saw, I observed, learned a lesson. And here, they observed, okay, okay. And, and, and what Solomon, he saw, he learned from the shameful condition of this lazy person. Verse 33, and this is how a lazy person rationalizes their laziness. You guys ready? Here, how they do it. Verse 33, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And notice the result, verse 34. And poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. You know the sad thing about the sluggard that Solomon talks a lot about, right? The lazy person, the sluggard. Talks about the sloth, whole, right person. The sad thing about the sluggard is that here we see that he had many advantages. He had land, right? He had land. He had a field, right? He had a vineyard that's surrounded by what? By a stone wall. And these are resources that could be put, in, put, put to good use to produce for him and his family. But, but, his wall was, a, his wall was broken down, right? So it says. His walls were broken down. and He won't repair it. His vineyard is left vulnerable to any invader, and his field is left untilled and unkept, not producing crops for him nor for his family. So he has become poor because the only thing that matters to him is what? Sleep. 
I don't want to work. I don't want to clean. I want to sleep. I want to sleep. And how sad is that? And Solomon observed this. And Solomon, as a wise man, said, don't want to be like that. God has given you and I things to be stewards of, and we must be good stewards of that. Amen? So this, is, this picture is to contrast, and we're almost done here, to contrast with the reward of diligence. Got it? Here we go. Chapter 10, verse 4. Write it down. Look at it, or you can turn to it. I'm going to close with this. Chapter 10, verse 4. Solomon writes, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands, say diligent hands, bring wealth. Amen? So don't be lazy. Be a good steward and a hard worker and glorify your God in heaven. Amen? Let's all stand. Amen?